Let's pray. Father, as we get into your word, we do pray that, uh, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts. God, as uh, once again, we have a guy who's dealing with issues, situations going on, writing to a church a couple thousand years ago, trying to encourage them, trying to bring them to a place where, God, they can, they can enjoy you and grow in you and love you. And God, we're doing the same thing today. So, Lord, speak to our hearts. Take what is written here and what we're gonna look at, and Lord, just embed it deep within us and draw us close to you. Lord, and if we're struggling, I pray that this would be that encouragement that we need, just the word that we need that, to bring us close. And if, God, if, our, if, we're, if we're on cloud nine, that Lord, it would just kind of keep us up there and it would be good. But God, have your way in each one of our hearts today. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, as we uh, continue here, it's interesting that for nine and a half chapters, this author has been kind of going over and over and over how great Jesus is. To get that in our hearts, we realize Jesus is greater than the angels. Jesus is greater than the prophets. Jesus is greater than the priests. You know, and on and on. And, and I know some of us, we kind of like, I got it. So here's what's going on now. After nine and a half chapters, now he's going to say, if you believe that, then this is how your life should be. Not, you should do this so that you can believe it, but because you believe that, this is what your life looks like, or at least should look like. So again, going from doctrine to, to some practical stuff, to, to put some you know, feet to what we've learned. And that's what he's gonna do for the next two and a half chapters, is just encourage us to walk the walk. And if we say we believe it, here's the thing, when you get truth, there's two things you're gonna do with it. You're either gonna believe it or you're not, one or the other. And if you believe it, it's going to influence your life. If you believe it, it will show to others that you believe it. Do you understand the things you believe come out in your life? They do, I don't, you can tell me things, but I know what you believe by the way you live your life and the things you do. So the author here is saying, here's what should be true in the believer's life as they walk with the Lord. So he begins here in verse 19, and he says, therefore, and I believe, listen, I'm gonna stop for a minute. I believe that therefore is therefore all of the first nine and a half chapters. He's saying, because all of that is true, then look at your life. So therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Now here's what I like, man. Listen, man, this guy's saying, if this is all true, this is what your life should look like. It should be a life of faith. 
An interesting thing, on Thursday night, we got a question about, in, in, in 1 Corinthians, that uh, the author of uh, Paul in 1 Corinthians says, these three remain, faith, hope, and love. And, and the greatest of these is love. And now listen, here's the interesting thing. The author of Hebrews is gonna talk about in the very beginning here, here's three things that should be true in your life. Faith, hope, and love. Those should be a reality in your life. So the first one's faith, and here's what he says. Because you and I, listen, you and I, because we're saved, we have a boldness, a boldness to enter the holiest. Now, for most of us, we kind of like, we read that and we don't really understand. If you were a Jew in the first century, and you came to a relationship with Jesus, and someone said that to you, it would absolutely blow your mind. We've talked about it kind of quite a bit, right? You didn't go into the holiest place. Nobody went in, only the high priest, and he only did that once a year, and he only did that for a really short time just in case things didn't go right. It was a scary thing to do. And listen, now here's what he's saying. You and I, because of the blood of Jesus, we'll talk about it in a moment, we have that boldness to go in. Listen, not arrogance, but boldness. And that boldness is because of his blood and because of his flesh. And we need to kind of keep that in front of us as we think about it. Now, again, I think for them, this was like mind-blowing. In, in Leviticus chapter 20, I know a lot of us love reading Leviticus. In Leviticus chapter 20, there's the sons of, of Aaron, Nadab and Abihu. Remember that story? They decided they're going to do things their way. God had... God had laid out for him, here's how you do things. And Nadab and Abihu were gonna do it their own way. And remember what happened when they went in and worshiped God and did the holy things in an unholy way? They just like, I like to say it this way, they kind of disintegrated on the spot, right? God just melted them and, and took care of that. Now, so, hey, you're a Jew, that's what you think about. You don't mess with holy things, and, and I kind of think the same way, but listen, man, in their mind, it was like you told them that they could go into the holiest of place with boldness? That's like a mind blower for them. And then he tells them, listen, not only that, he says, we do it, listen carefully, by the blood of Jesus, by a new living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is his flesh. We're getting ready to celebrate the birth of Jesus and, you know, a lot on that. On, on, on uh, Monday, tomorrow night, they're going to have the, what people are calling the Star of Bethlehem, right? The lineup of things and you can go out at sunset, you can check that out and you can look at it. We're going to talk about that star because there's a lot of misunderstanding, I believe, about that star that the, the wise guys were following and, and looking at. So, but... Thinking about that, listen, we have that going on and you need to understand something. I believe Jesus was born. I'm not sure he was born on the 24th or the 25th of December, but I know he came. But he came for one reason and I think we lose that as even as believers sometimes. He came for one reason, to die for our sins. He didn't come to be a great teacher. He didn't come to heal people necessarily of sickness and do, hey, he could have healed, he could have healed every single person and taught a thousand more teachings 
And if he didn't die on the cross, it was all for naught. We need to understand. And that's what this author is trying to get them to understand. We go in not just because Jesus came, but because Jesus came and died. We go in by his blood. And I love the whole idea here where he says, listen, where he says that we have a new and living way. Jesus died, but he's alive because he rose again on the third day. We have a living way. When they entered, when the high priest went in to the holy place, how did he go in? He went in by the blood of an animal that had died. He had to go in by death. You and I, we have a new, and it's interesting, when he uses that word new, it's a word that means newly slaughtered. So kind of the idea. Hey, Jesus died on the cross, his flesh was torn. He says the veil, right? Here's what he tells us. He says we enter through the veil, that is his flesh. In Matthew chapter 27, when it talks about Jesus dying on the cross, and when he says it is finished, it says the temple, the veil that separated the holy place from the holy of holies was torn, right? And it was torn from top to bottom to prove that it wasn't just some man tore it. It was torn from top to bottom. Now, have you ever kind of sat and just meditated on that idea? And I think most of us get it. You know, it's torn because we can get into the holy place. But did you ever think about, listen, it didn't just fall down and fold up why because if it just fell down and folded up you could put it back up God made sure it was torn it was done away with but greater than that the body of Jesus the flesh was torn to make a way he is the veil that was opened up so you and I could go into boldly into the holy place do you understand when you bow your heart to pray you're coming into the presence of the one who created the entire universe, the one who keeps it all together. Doesn't that sort of blow your mind? That's who you're, listen, that's who you're in the presence of. And that's what he's talking about. Listen, if you don't get anything else from, from all of the book of Hebrews, get this one truth that's a fact. You have the ability to come into the presence of God Almighty and technically live in that presence day by day by day. That should blow our minds. Years ago in the 80s, Steve Camp, I don't know how many people remember Steve Camp, Christian music. Steve Camp wrote a song and, and, and in that song, he's talking about prayer and he said a lot of us, we treat prayer so, so flippantly and he said it's like playing marbles with diamonds. Every time I think of that line, I think, I think you know, we just, we just kinda, we don't realize the privilege that we have and how awesome that is that we can come into the holy place. I think these guys got it a little more than us, but I pray that after today, uh, all of us would go, woo! I even pray, you know, like right now, you're going, yes! We're in the presence. And listen, he says, by that veil, and then, listen, not only that, here's a, here's a this gets better and better. Listen, we go into his presence, and verse 21, and having a high priest over the house of God. You and I, not only are we allowed to go into his presence, there's somebody there to greet us. Jesus is there to greet us to make sure we do okay in the house of God. How cool is that? Because we would mess it up, right? We'd get in there and we'd muck it up, and Jesus is there. I'll show you what to do. You know, I, I, I liken it to this, like, 
and I'm gonna use this illustration and some of you are gonna get freaked out, but it's okay, just unfreak. It's like, it's like if you go to the White House, you can go to the White House and do a tour and have a tour guide. Yeah. Wouldn't it be better to go to the White House and have whoever's living in it, we won't say any names, we keep this politically neutral, but whoever's living in the White House, wouldn't it be better to go in and have them take you through the White House? You get my point? Jesus is there to take us through the, woo! I mean, he's there. Listen, he's not there to go, oh, sorry, Pat. You're not good enough. I already know I'm not good enough. I don't go boldly into the holy place because Pat did something. I go boldly into the holy place because Jesus Christ died on the cross for me and his blood covers my sin and I know that. So listen man, we have that high priest over the house of God and then here's what, he, here's what he's getting to with all of that. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. When we talk about faith, biblically talking about faith, we're not talking about blind faith and we're not talking about putting faith in faith. Hey, in the 80s, in the 90s, even in the early 2000s, there was a whole word of faith movement and people are trying to get you to put faith in faith. That doesn't work. Faith has to have an object. And listen, is your faith in Jesus Christ? If your faith is in Jesus Christ and what he has done on the cross, you have that full assurance. Listen, as I said, I can go into the holy place not because I'm a good guy. I would love to stand up here and tell you I do everything right. But then my wife would talk to you. I don't. I don't live a perfect life. Wish I did, but I don't. I blow it. And some of you have even witnessed my blowing it. Some of you have been, you know, victims of my blowing it. I blow it. But I can still go into the holy place. Why? It's not me. It's Jesus. It's his blood. And I have that full assurance of faith. Why? Because I have a sincere heart. Listen, as, as he brings that up, are you sincerely in love with your Savior? Or are you religiously in love? Hey, there's a big difference. Is this a sincere relationship that you have with him? Are you somebody that, man, you know what? You're in this and you're all in. Remember in Matthew chapter seven, as you're going through the, mount, uh, through the Sermon on the Mount, and remember, Jesus begins talking and he says, some of you will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not heal the sick in your name? And they give a whole list of things. And Jesus says, depart from me. I never knew you. Listen carefully. He didn't say, I knew you and I forgot you. He says, here's what he's saying. We never had a relationship. You can do a lot of religious things and not have this sincere heart that he's talking about, not have this relationship. And here's the challenge. Listen, man, you cannot have, you cannot have faith that is, you can't have this faith that is, uh, that is, uh, that, that you have that full assurance. You can't have that unless you have that sincere faith or that sincere heart with the Lord. Then your faith, listen, I know that Jesus died for my sins. I am convinced of that. I've shared before, I got saved in my bed. It's kind of weird, my testimony. Some people say, did you ever like raise your hand in church? No. Did you ever go forward and no? And then they'll ask me, are you sure you're saved? Yeah, I'm positive. 
I got saved in a, I remember still, you know, that was in, in 1983 I got saved. And you know what? I still remember distinctly that night calling on the name of the Lord. And in my heart, in my mind, I was going all in. And it was all or nothing. Like they say, putting all of your eggs in one basket. I was doing it, man. I was going for it. And I remember I was scared. I was thinking, if, if I've been duped and this ain't true, I'm in serious trouble. But it is true. It is true. And how do I know it's true? Because I can go back to his word time after time, year after year, and his word never changes. And I have a full assurance of faith Listen, because of what Jesus Christ has done, not because of what I've done. And I go in there, and listen, man, I love this. We draw near to him, and then he tells us this, having our hearts, in the middle of verse 22, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Listen, if you have been born again, your conscience has been washed. Doesn't mean, listen, doesn't mean you don't do bad things and you don't, don't sin and don't feel bad about it, but your conscience is washed you don't carry around guilt and shame and, and have to deal with that. It's washed, and I love that, and it's washed by the blood of Jesus. And he says, listen, our conscience has been sprinkled. What is he talking about? How come he uses those terms that our, our, our conscience, our evil conscience has been, are having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water? Now, some people say it's, you know, the internal is the conscience is what really happened, and then the external, the washed with water is baptism. I don't think he's talking about baptism. I think that's true. Baptism is a sign of what happens inwardly. I, I believe that, and it's a sign, but I don't think that's what he's talking about. Remember in Exodus 24, we've talked about Exodus quite a bit through this. Remember when the high priest went in, if you ever, and, and, and you get the details. Hey, before he went in, he had to take, he had to do several washings in, in, in uh, the basin there in front of the altar. And that's a washing of the body. And then he had to sprinkle everything with blood. Now these guys, when they hear sprinkle and they hear washing, that's their mental picture. That's what they're thinking about. And you and I, listen, I think when he's talking about our conscience has been sprinkled and it's clean, and we've been sprinkled our conscience by the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus gives us a clean conscience. And we have that. And I call that positional sanctification. God tells me, and again, according to Ephesians, God says, I'm seated in the heavenlies. Some of you go, no, you're here. No, I'm seated in the heavenlies. And God, listen, God sees me as perfect. God sees me seated in the heavenlies. That's positional sanctification. But guess what? If that is true in my life and I believe that, now I begin walking that. And I begin changing my life. And that's practical sanctification. Like, I'm, I, hey, I'm a lot better than I was in, you know, that night I got saved. And I'm a lot better, listen, I'm a lot better than I was two weeks ago. I keep growing in this thing called sanctification. I think that's what he's talking about, washing our bodies. We walk with the Lord and we grow in our sanctification. We grow in our relationship with him and our lives change. So listen, man, he's telling you and I, we have this opportunity to do that because we have a full assurance of faith. Why does my life change? Because I believe God. You see, I believe 
when the Lord tells me I'm holy, I tend to believe him. Now I have this inner voice. I like to say it's the devil. I doubt if it's him personally. But I, I hear this every once in a while. Seriously, you call yourself a pastor? You just did that? How could, you, how could you do that? How could you say you're a pastor? And I always answer with this, by the blood of Jesus. You see, we do dumb things. At least I do. Maybe you don't. I do dumb things. And then I hear, you're not, you're not who you think you are, who the Bible says you are. And my answer is, God says I'm that. I'm just trying to work it out here. I'm trying to make it more real in my life. So listen, man, he says that, and we're, we're that way. And now, listen, so because we have this full assurance of faith, verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Now listen, man, I love the direction he's going here. So because we have full assurance of faith, let us hang on. And I think, you know, there's, there's this whole idea of, you know, some people saying God does everything, and I believe God does do everything, but we have to work it out in this world. God doesn't work in a vacuum. And I have to hang on. Doesn't mean I'm hanging on for my salvation, but man, I've got to fight to keep the hope alive that's within me. And he says, listen, man, you walk and you come in there and you hold fast to the confession of our hope. What is the confession of my hope? It's not like, listen, we're getting ready to do Christmas and, and I think most of us, you kinda, you're kind of hoping you get something special, right? You've kind of left notes around and sent, you know, a little text and, you know, had to, you know, nowadays with our phones, you can look something up and send it to them. And I was just looking at this. I just saw, you know, so you have that hope. That's not this kind of hope. This kind of hope is, listen, this kind of hope is built on my hope is in Jesus Christ, something sure. My confession, what is my confession? Jesus Christ died for my sins, rose again on the third day, and now he's seated in the heavenlies, and now he's making intercession for me, and he's my high priest, and he's waiting to greet me. All of that is my hope. It's not a hope, and I hope that's true. It's giving me hope to walk through today and to get through today. And then I love it, listen, he says we have this hope without wavering. Listen carefully, for he who promised is faithful. Yes! I, we wanna challenge you to read your Bible. We challenge every year. Read your Bible through the year. We have the, you know, we have the Bible reading programs. We even have it on version now. You can go on version. That blew my mind, I can't remember, 3,600? Over 3,600 people have subscribed to our Bible reading plan on version. That's nuts, right? That's great. People are reading their Bible. But listen, version will read it to you. Is that good? Some of you have like blank looks, like I don't even know what that is. <laughs> it's 2020. It's almost 2021. So listen, man, you have these things going on. That blows my mind. And, and uh, listen, man, he says... Uh, and again, I want to challenge you to read your Bible. Every promise God has ever made, he has kept. He's never failed. He's never given up. Even when, uh, it, it, I love, I love reading Exodus. Some of it, some of it, I'm, I'm like you guys. Some of it, when it's doing tent pigs, not so much. 
But I love reading, and, and I love when, when, when the people like are so irritating to Moses and everything's going wrong. Well, my favorite scene, and, and they should do a movie. When Moses gets all, all upset and he's on the mountain with God and, and God says, you know what, Moses? I'm just gonna kill them all. Remember that scene? Now, look, I, I'm paraphrasing it. I'm just gonna wipe them out and we'll start over with you. Now, most of us, because we're more narcissistic than we wanna admit, we would tell God that was a very good idea. <laughs> but don't you love what Moses, don't you love what Moses does? Moses says, you can't do that. I love it. He doesn't say, you shouldn't do that. He says, you can't do that. You're God, and you made a promise. And you have to keep your promise. Because if you don't keep your promise, you can't be God anymore. That's, that's the way I interpret it. I know that's not. But listen, man. Listen, as he does that, and here's what he says, man. We have this faith unwavering why? For he who promised is faithful. Hallelujah. Listen to this story. I love this story. This is, a, this is kind, of, kind of dated, so you got to understand, but this is a great story. So there's a young boy whose dad left him on a downtown corner one morning and told him to wait there until he returned in about a half hour. But the father's car broke down, and he could not get to a phone. For those of you who are really young, there wasn't always cell phones. Okay, so some of you are going, what do you mean he couldn't get to the phone? Couldn't he just get it out of his pocket? So this is before that time period, and, and uh, he, couldn't, he couldn't do that. So listen, so five hours went by before the father managed to get back, and he's worried that his son would be in a state of panic. And when the father got there, the boy was standing in front of the dime store. Again, you've got to look that up and kind of understand what that is. So he's front, we'll just say store. He's standing in front of a store looking in the window and he's rocking back and forth on his heels. And when the father saw him, he ran up to him like a dad would do, right? Threw his arms around him, hugged him and kissed him. And the father apologized and said, weren't you worried? Did you think I was never coming back? I love this. And the boy looked up at his dad and he said, no, dad, I knew you were coming because you said so. God is faithful. God is faithful, and you and I need to understand that. We need to know that. First Thessalonians, this is a great verse. This is a verse you can memorize. This one's not hard. Listen, First Thessalonians 5.24 says this. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Yes. Yes. So that's what this author, when he's talking about, oh, we have that hope that's unwavering. Why? Because he's faithful. And we need to always remember that, especially when it gets difficult and it gets hard. And then, now, listen, now I think he gets down to the nitty-gritty. And this, you know, part of me wants to preface this. I might step on some toes, but it's okay. Because I think we need to understand this. Listen to what he says, verse 24. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as it is the manner of some, but exhorting one another. Now I'm gonna finish that in a minute, but I want us to hear what he's saying because all of that is one thought. If you diagram the sentence, it's all one thought. And here's what he's talking about. He's talking about we need to be together and we need to be exhorting one another to love and good works. Here's the love part. You cannot love somebody through a screen, you can't do it. It's impossible. 
And we need to know that. We need to understand it. If I'm going to exhort you to love and good works, we got to have some, quote, FaceTime, but not FaceTime on the phone. We have to have face-to-face time going on. And I want us to understand, this guy is writing to a group of believers who are struggling. It's hard on them. Hey, they're not facing, you might go, well, they're not facing a pandemic. No, they were just facing a government who wanted to kill them, a religious system who wanted to do away with them. They came out of that system. They denied their, fa- their, their, their religion and came to faith in Jesus Christ. Their families disowned them. People wanted to kill them. That's a little bit heavier than a pandemic. And here's what the author of Hebrews says. Oh, you don't have to worry about coming together. I know it's dangerous. I know it's hard. I know it's difficult. I know things might happen. So you know what? Just stay in your homes and I won't finish that sentence. What does he say? No. Here's what he says. Christians, listen carefully. Christians come together. Christians assemble together. If you are a believer and you're a Christian, you come together. And again, I'm not not making light of the pandemic. I'm not making light of it being contagious and all of that. I understand that. But I also understand to a greater degree the necessity, not the preference, the necessity of the church gathering together. Why? I can't exhort you to love and good works on a phone call. I need to see your faith. I need to be with you. And I need you, and you need each other. And he says, man, we come together, and I love this. Listen, he says, says, you need to do that. As he talks about that, listen, as he says, let us consider one another. Here's an interesting thing. I I did a little bit of study on this because I didn't want to overstep on this. Listen to to what one of the Greek scholars says. He said this word, consider one another, or two words, might well be translated this way. Observe well or understand one another in a reciprocal relationship. Do you hear that? It's got to be going back and forth. We've got to reciprocate each other. And then he says this, the emphasis is not upon unilateral observation. Hmm, that's interesting. And then he says, but upon getting to know one another in the intimacy of a community of faith. Wow, there's a lot said in those couple words that I think we kind of gloss over and we don't pay attention to. I think it's essential that we come together. And he says we do that and we do that. Another, Another Greek scholar said it this way, carefully consider how we may ardently incite one another to love and to good works. I kind of like that, right? I like to incite, I kind of have a rebellious part. So the inciting part, I'm going, yes. I want to incite people. And listen, I, and I'm not saying all of this out of my rebellious part, but listen, he says, he says, let us consider one another in order to stir up that love and good works. When he talks about stirring up, do you remember in the book of Acts when Paul and Barnabas got in trouble, remember, with each other, and they had their fight? Same word. When they disagreed with the other, they stirred up. And so listen, that's the negative part of that word. The positive part is this. Are you really willing to go out of your way so a brother and sister can grow in the Lord? Are you willing to do that? Are you willing even maybe to take a little bit of a risk to do that? As I said, these guys faced much harsher harsher consequences than what we face. 
And he's saying, don't do that. And then, and then he comes up with this part, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another. Some people, hey, it was easy to go to a house church in that day. You go from house to house. You're just visiting somebody. But you gather publicly? Oh, a whole different thing. And trust me, the language he uses here is gathering publicly, not gathering in a home in little secret enclaves. He's saying you need to come together publicly. And here's my heart. I believe we need to be a public gathering in order to shine the light of Jesus Christ in a world that's messed up. I, listen, I'm not denying things are going on. I'm not blind to the things that are happening. I see it and I get it and I understand it. But who can fix it? Jesus, thank you. Yes, he can fix it, God. And you and I have a responsibility to our community to shine brightly and be that bright light. We need to be a people and we come together, why? So we can exhort one another. I wanna exhort you, I want you to exhort me so that we can make a difference in our world. And man, listen, if you're a Christian, this is what you need to do. Hey, people say this all the time. I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. True. You don't have to go home to be married either. But if you don't, your relationship stinks. <laughs> Think about it that way. And listen to what, listen to the heart of God. God is telling us this is something, this is not, listen, this is not something that, eh, I'll think about it. This is, I believe, essential to Christian growth. Something that breaks my heart when I look back is I believe, I believe we got ripped off on Easter. I believe that. And what's to me interesting, and somebody else brought this up, and, and what's interesting is, go back and do a timeline, do a little timeline study. Easter happened, the powers to be said, you shouldn't gather together, there's a danger, all of that going on. Do the timeline of what happened from the time when the church did not do what the church should be doing, and what happened shortly after that. You know what happened shortly after that? Riots, chaos. Our country almost exploded. I believe because the light was not shining brightly. And we have a responsibility. I will never close this church again. And again, it's not my, it's not my rebellious part. It's I believe, listen, I believe my whole heart of this scripture. And I believe this is what he's telling us to do. And so, hey, I know, I know there's some danger, but you know what? There's risk in everything. And we need to, we have a responsibility. Listen, and once again, we have a responsibility to be bright and light in the darkness, not just people who are negative and mad and angry, but man, let's make a difference. Wouldn't you love to see a revival break out in Sierra Vista? It's only gonna happen through us. It's not gonna, listen, if we just sit around, it's not gonna happen. And if you're watching online right now, I'm not just picking on you. Well, I kinda am. But I understand, listen, I understand there's people who are high risk and I, I, and I get that and you have to decide on your own. 
but I also understand what he's saying there. Now listen, this even gets better. Check this out. He says, but exhorting one another, and we can only do that face to face. And now he says, and so much more as you see the day approaching. Oh, do you believe we're in the end times? I'm, I know we're in the end times. Why? Because the Bible tells me. The end times started 2,000 years ago. We're a lot ender times than they were. And they believe they were in the end times. Listen, man, we are, and we need to know that. That day is approaching, and we need each other more now than we've ever needed each other to go through. When the world gets chaotic, who are you going to turn to? Each other, I would hope, for prayer, for exhortation, etc. And then, listen, man, I love, I love the idea. Now, for them, some people say for them, listen, that day might have been the destruction of the temple because that was coming. But listen to F.F. F. Bruce. Here's a, he's, F.F. F. Bruce. Is a, is a brilliant, brilliant scholar. Listen to what he says. I love this thought. Here's what he says. Each successive Christian generation is called upon to live as the, as the generation of the end times. Don't you love that? Each successive Christian gener- generation is to live as that generation of the end times. And now listen how he concludes that. Because that's how Christians live. Oh, You don't do it because you're told to. You do it because you're a Christian. And I love that whole thought. So, saints, if we are going to be people who we have full assurance of faith and we have an unwavering hope and we're spreading love and exhortation, there's only one way to do that. And that's to do that as the church of Jesus Christ. So this is getting real practical, right? If you really believe that Jesus is greater than and put anything in there, then you believe, listen, you believe, and if that's true in your life, you're gonna walk this walk. You're not gonna, listen, you're not gonna walk this walk to make that true. It's true, and because that's true, you're gonna do the walk. So my encouragement to us as believers is to shine brightly, and let's, let's turn this world upside down, or at least Sierra Vista. We can start there. Let's get it turned upside down, then we'll work. And I know people go, no, it's right side up. I don't care what you call it. (laughs) So you know what? Invite people to Christmas Eve. It's okay. It's all right. I know some people are going, are we really being responsible? Thank you, somebody said yep. (laughs) And there's a lot of discussion about that. But saints, we need to be light in the dark, period. Let's stand up and pray. Father, we thank you. Lord, we thank you for the challenge of your word. We thank you, God, that as we, as we look at this, that, Lord, we've gone from all of the theology that sometimes can just be theory to taking the truth and making it practical, which then changes it from theory to practical working out of the Christian life. And I pray, I pray that we would be like that Hebrew congregation, wherever they were. I think they were probably in Jerusalem, but wherever they were. And I believe as they read this, it empowered them to go forward with you. Lord, not to not to shy away, not to be, but to go forward. And God, as the church of Jesus Christ, 
I pray we would impact our community, that we would begin to make a difference. And God, that we would see revival. I pray, Lord, I pray these chairs would get filled up with people wanting to know you, people wanting to understand, people wanting to grow. So God, have your way in our hearts individually and be glorified in our lives. And I'm gonna ask you to stay in an attitude of prayer for a couple more moments. And if you are here today and you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and listen, by that, here's what I mean, is you've never asked him truly and sincerely to come into your life, to forgive your sins. If you've not done that, even if you've come to this church for years, or you're just visiting for the first time. If you've not done that, today is a day of salvation. You have a challenge in front of you, and this is what a Christian looks like. Is that what you look like? And now you need to approach with a sincere heart. So listen, I'm gonna lead you in a prayer. It's a simple prayer of faith. You're gonna tell God that you know you're a sinner. You're gonna tell him you're sorry for your sin. And then you're gonna believe that his death on the cross washed away your sin. So you can say this prayer with me. You can say it out loud or you can say it silently. If you're backslidden, man, you come home right now. Christmas time is a great time to come home. Come back to Jesus and come back strong and come back full. If you're watching online and God has touched your heart, you know what? Say this prayer with us and come into his presence. Jesus, today I confess to you that I am a sinner. I'm sorry that I sinned against you. And right now I'm asking you to forgive me. And Jesus, I want to thank you for dying for my sin. I want to thank you this morning for your forgiveness. And now I want you to come into my heart, God, and change me. I'm asking you to come into my life and guide me. I want you to be my Lord and my Savior.